The government spends more than $90 billion a year on information technology, and as anyone involved in the procurement process can attest, that process is far from perfect. Now the Office of Management and Budget and the General Services Administration are turning to online crowdsourcing to help make it better. The new series of challenges is called Engaging Procurement Ideas to Consider, or EPIC. The first one wrapped up at the end of June after gathering 1,700 responses. Leslie Field is the acting director of OMB's Office of Federal Procurement Policy, and Laura Stanton is assistant commissioner for the IT category in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. They spoke with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu about how EPIC works. Field speaks first. We really wanted to promote broader and more effective communication with stakeholders and others that are interested in federal acquisition, and crowdsourcing is helping us to do that. So the platform we're using is providing an easy way for anyone with an EPIC idea to submit them to us. And then we're able to quickly see their ideas and then the comments submitted by other people. And through this campaign, we've been able to hear from a broad and diverse group of people on important procurement topics like IT vendor communication and collaboration. And that's why we teamed up with the GSA's IT Vendor Management Office or the IT VMO, uh, which we helped stand up with GSA, NASA, NIH, and DOD to in part help agencies make smarter IT buying decisions by providing specific acquisition intelligence around common IT buys. And both the ITVMO and OFPP are interested in learning from and actively engaging in uh, with the vendor community, especially owners of small and disadvantaged businesses throughout the country. But were there specific problems with IT procurement that you were trying to solve here? Or is this just a way to cast a broad net to see what kinds of good ideas might be out there? So this is Laura with GSA, and this is really an opportunity to cast a broad net. One of the things that I think about when I think about the EPIC campaign is that it's a way to bring together on a virtual platform sort of the conversation, the brainstorming, the casual interactions that you'd have if you were sort of meeting with people rather than in a structured environment. So often our conversations are, are highly structured through the RFI process or through the feedback process. And the EPIC campaign gives us a chance to sort of frame out some challenges and some and some ideas in, in front um, and ask for the feedback of the community and ask for that engagement. And that's, I think, one of the really exciting things about it. It allows voices to be heard that we wouldn't necessarily hear otherwise. So tell us to the extent you can, some of the feedback that you got, were there commonalities in some of the responses that you you received or one or three things that just blew your minds? Uh, This is Leslie. So uh, with respect to Epic, uh, we're really interested in those ideas where procurement can advance some of the administration priorities. Uh, One idea, for example, called for increased transparency on the phases of the acquisition process. Uh, with longer forecasting, vendors can better participate um, and anticipate some of the upcoming opportunities. So I think you know that's a, a key area, and we're certainly going to look to our industry liaisons to help us with that. Um, another idea called for the creation of vendor industry working groups and regular meetings to allow for information sharing. So one suggested example was the creation of a supplier board. Uh, that brought together certain suppliers in different areas where the government has a significant amount of spend. The purpose, of course, would be to take advantage of the collective expertise of these members. And so these are the kinds of uh, very specific ideas that are, I think, going to be very helpful to us. And to the extent that anything that you heard back makes its way into policy, any thoughts yet on what the timeline for, for that 
sort of thing might be? And, and will folks know, hey, my idea is now government policy? So this is Leslie. That it's, that's a great question. So I think we are just sort of kicking off what um, what the sort of the power of this campaign could be. And our goal really is to create a diverse group. Um, and just to give you a little bit of background on the folks that have been uh, contributing, and then we can talk a little bit about where the, all those ideas go. But uh, as of today, we have over 1,700 people from 33 different states that have registered to participate. And of the 1,700 registered to participate. More than half of them are non-feds and include business owners who are women or people of color, small disadvantaged businesses located in hub zones and rural areas, minority serving institutions, as well as advocacy organizations and academic institutions. So when you think about that great input and that broad reach there, uh, we're going to get lots of of good suggestions and and, uh, the team will, of course, take those back. We'll work with the community to refine them and then figure out sort of where they go. And then the next step, of course, would be um, for any policy changes or suggestions for uh, new ways of doing business. We certainly would make that as public as possible so that folks can see where those ideas went. Yeah. And I wanted to build on that a little bit, Jared. This is Laura. When we were doing the IT vendor management campaign, a couple of the ideas was uh, they're less policy oriented than they are perhaps best practices and engagement opportunities um, that like get industry to contribute on requirements was came from a federal employee in the DC area. There was another one that was submitted by a, a small disadvantaged veteran owned small business owner outside DC that was really talking about filling the post RFI black hole. And so really they were asking for where is their opportunity for collaboration? What can the government do when we get RFI responses to be more transparent about sharing back what we heard from industry and releasing those broad concepts of the information learned from the from those RFI submissions? And I think that's exactly it. That people, when when there's contributions made, people want to be able to see what happens with those contributions. Just like you're asking about the ideas. This is, we're getting the same feedback for when, when a vendor takes the time, they want to be able to see where that, what happens with it. And they also were encouraging agencies to publish a list of vendors that responded to RFIs to promote that transparency and collaboration between government and industry. So I think that as we get into the campaigns, we'll see probably a gamut of ideas that are anything ranging from best practices to something that would potentially impact policy. I think that that is, that's the value of of soliciting ideas this way. Right. Uh, Lauren, this is Leslie. Uh, I I agree. And I I think one of the great things that we're doing here is we are coordinating with some of our subject matter experts to take a look at the ideas and, and figure out exactly how they apply. Uh, and these experts could include senior procurement executives, uh, frontline contracting professionals that we like to talk to, um, and groups with specific responsibilities. Uh, we talked a little bit about the industry li- liaisons. We've also got acquisition career managers. So I think the goal is really to find the right people to help us think through the ideas, what they mean, and how they could be applied. So I think it's a really great opportunity for everybody. It seems like the thing we keep coming back to here is casting a wide net uh, and, and engaging both with the workforce and in industry means the future of how you engage probably is not an industry day in a building in Washington, D.C. anymore. 
Right. And, and this is Leslie. I think we have learned a lot um, from our experience during the pandemic. I think the virtualization of the acquisition function happened very quickly. I think we've learned some important lessons that we can reach out and sometimes even to a broader audience. I'm using some of these tools. And so sharpening our skills there, I think, will be important. And I think this is certainly a, a good first step. And on the flip side, I think we also, this is Laura, through this campaign, it's not just coming into a single agency, but to Leslie's point, it's that we're working across those teams, stakeholders, executive steering committees when it comes to the ITVMO that cross agencies, NASA, NIH, GSA, DOD. So those ideas are getting broad reach inside of the federal government too, not only coming from a broad audience and of stakeholders, but also then on, on our side being received by a broad audience. Last thing, just to wrap us up, what, what what were your key takeaways from the use of this IdeaScale platform and doing a challenge like this? Is it something that you could see yourselves doing more of in the future to, to help inform policy and best practices? Uh, yeah, this is Leslie. A- absolutely. I, I think when you think about, um, we talked a little bit about the broad reach. I think that's been incredibly important. I think setting up um, separate campaigns for different issues. I mean, every agency is is uh, very busy looking at um, a, a number of priorities and initiatives and getting that kind of specific feedback from a broad audience is incredibly important. Um, so I see this as a tool that we plan to use in the future to, to reach out to our community, to reach out to industry and all of our stakeholders. Leslie Field, Acting Director of OMB's Office of Federal Procurement Policy, and Laura Stanton, the Assistant Commissioner for the IT category in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. We'll post this interview plus a link to more information about EPIC at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Get your Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? 
my style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, 
um, from C to C suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.